You're listening to Episode 5 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there, and welcome to Episode 5 of Chat About Children, where we chat about all things children and support and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode is a great topic. It's all about the bilingual child. And today is part one, um, the bilingual child, where it's really about giving you an introduction and a foundation knowledge to what bilingual language development looks like, what is typical, um, and give you the confidence, particularly those working with children, to understand what is um, or what are some characteristics that we often see when we are working with children that have a different language spoken at home. Over the years, families and people that speak more than one language has increased quite progressively. And in Australia, collectively, Australians speak over 300 languages. And over the years, um, particularly where my clinics are located in um, Sydney's south, we have 30 and a half percent of the population born overseas, and the largest proportion um, are born in China. And one of the most common languages that are spoken after English are Mandarin, Italian, Arabic, Cantonese, and Greek. So there's a real mix of different home languages that are happening, and we're seeing that, of course, around the world. So for families or parents that um, have children that are speaking a language different to the community language and for professionals that are working with children um, that are coming from homes where they are speaking a different language, it's really important that we have a good understanding of what bilingualism development looks like. So we're going to cover that today. And I'll also cover you know, why me as a speech pathologist is talking about bilingualism anyway. We'll look at the patterns of bilingual development and also those typical characteristics that we see when we are you know, bringing up a child with more than one language at home. So let's kick this off. So for myself personally, um, Italian was my first language. So I can speak, read and write Italian. Um, English I was really immersed into once I started school. So I used English to speak with siblings and Italian to speak with my parents and my relatives. And you know, having another language is just such an amazing gift, um, you know, as an adult as well. It's just been amazing to have been brought up with more than one language. So it's something that I really do um, encourage and reassure parents when they're wondering about whether they should keep another language or not, or just switch to the community language, um, that there's so many benefits and, and wonders to having more than one language. So I do encourage it and I do reassure parents that are worried sometimes about, you know, confusing their children. So, um, you know, why as a speech pathologist would I be talking about bilingualism? Well, basically over time, um, I've seen a lot of kids that have come in to seek um, help with language delays or learning difficulties, and they've sought treatment a lot later than what I would have expected. And very often it's due to um, the fact that they have another language spoken at home and often um, professionals or parents have just thought that their child has just taken their time to develop certain skills um, because they speak another language at home. And, you know, what I've found is that 
it has that has not always been the causal factor. And so those children could have been helped a lot sooner. And so today I hope that we can raise that awareness in understanding what the typical stages are of language development so that if there are concerns, you can, um, you know, refer sooner rather than later and, and start you know, managing or intervening to get some success with any support required. Okay, so the first thing to understand is, you know, language itself. You know, what does it mean when we refer to language? Now, in terms of language, there's two key components here. There's what we call receptive language, which is an ability to understand language, to follow directions, to understand different questions, to understand different sentences. So that comprehension of language is what we refer to as receptive language. Then we have expressive language, and this is the ability to use language. So speaking, making sentences, um, answering questions, using correct grammar, and things like being able to retell a story or retell an event. So when I am looking at um, the milestones, which I'll mention shortly, when we're looking at the milestones, we're going to be looking at receptive language milestones and expressive language milestones. And when we consider these milestones, what we need to do is have in mind the home language that um, that a child is speaking or that you have at home. And the reason for that is these milestones um, pretty much are universal in lots of ways. So when you're a professional that's working with a child that has another language spoken at home, you want to use these milestones as a guide and you want to say, okay, um, you know, mum, dad or carer, let's go through these milestones. Help me understand how the child is doing in the home language. So you want to use the milestones to measure up against the language that the child is more predominantly using. Okay, so when considering receptive language milestones or comprehension of language, no matter what the language is at home, that starts from birth. So learning of language begins at birth. As soon as babies are aware of their environmental sounds, then as they get older in their early months and they get to, you know, six to nine months of age, they're starting to understand their own name. They're going to turn in response to hearing it. And they usually start imitating um, greeting actions like waving hello or goodbye. And they'll show that they're understanding um, questions like where's mum or where's dad or they'll understand their own own name. And they'll do this by turning and giving eye contact and showing they're responding um, to that question. Then as children get to between 10 and 12 months of age, they're recognizing familiar objects. So this could be nose or ball or grandma, and they start to begin to respond to very simple requests like give to mummy, give to daddy. Those kinds of questions are understood. Then as a child gets older, so between one and two years of age, they're able to understand more simple directions like push the car, and they're often enjoying stories and nursery rhymes. And, and very often toddlers love repetition of these stories and nursery rhymes. So be patient. Um, it is a big help for their language development. Then as they get to two to three years of age, they're understanding more the function of objects. So, for example, if you were to say, what do we drink with? You know, they'd understand the function or the, the object being a cup. 
Um, and they're also understanding two-step directions, so longer directions. If we were to say, for example, get your shoes and put them in your room, so a direction that has two parts. Again, no matter what the language is at home, they should be following um, these guides or these milestones. As a child gets older, so between three and four years of age, they're starting to understand some WH questions. So questions like who, what, when um, is, is happening, and you can have a little conversation with them too. Between four and five years old, they can understand more complex WH questions like why, like, you know, why did that happen? Or what do you think might happen next? And really at this age and stage, whether a child's at home or preschool, um, childcare, nearly everything that's said to them is understood. So bear in mind that the predominant language or the, the language spoken at home, if that's the dominant language that the child is exposed to, you want to be able to go through these receptive language milestones and just check in that that home language is being understood appropriately. Moving on to expressive language milestones. So again, remember, this is about children learning to speak and use language. This also starts from birth where sounds are made by newborns, often to express pleasure or pain. As they progress in their early months, between four and six months of age, they're increasing um, the sounds they're making. So lots of babbling is occurring where they're making different sounds. And often you're hearing, you know, a baby playing happily on their own or making noises and sounds to express that they want something. As they get older, so between seven and 12 months of age, that babbling gets longer and they're starting to put longer strings of sounds together like mama or dada um, and intonation is used too. So that kind of sing-song pattern that we use as adults is often starting to be used um, by toddlers you know, at that seven to 12 month stage. And very often first words are heard at 12 months of age, at one year old. So if Spanish is the home language at home, for example, you would expect that typically by that 12-month mark they're using um, or you've heard the first word that they say in Spanish. As they get older, between 12 and 18 months, more and more words are being expressed. Month by month, they're using gestures, actions, facial expressions, and they're using single words like mummy or drink or no or more. Um, and they're starting to imitate new words and they're wanting to imitate songs as well. So they're really attempting to copy um, lots of words. So it's a really exciting, exciting time. No matter what language you speak, it's always exciting to hear those first words come through. Between um, 18 and 24 months, words start to get a little bit clearer and children often start to ask questions at a two-word level like, what's that? Or they might say, where's mummy? And their vocabulary is also building quite a bit. So they might have between 25 and 50 words um, typically and they're starting to put those two words together. Then between two and three years of age, um, their vocabulary starts to expand quite a bit. So it might be up to 200 words and almost everything has a word attached and their sentences are getting a little longer as well. So they've got three words or up to three word sentences. Between three and four years of age, often kids are having lots of new experiences in their life at this time. So they usually have a lot to talk about because of all those new experiences and they're starting to combine words into four words or more in their sentences. Their grammar is more um, correct and appropriate. And often people are, are really able to understand your child. Their speech is becoming more clear and more fluent. And as they get to four and five years of age, 
The sentences are longer again. They can tell you stories, keeping the the same or the right um, topic focus, and they can retell what they've done in the day in the right order of events. So the communication should really be quite easy with you know familiar adults and with their friends. So that covers kind of those early stages of language development both receptive and expressive. And as I said before, use those milestones as a guide. So when looking at the home language, you want to make sure that the home language is progressing in those developmental steps. Now, if it is, if the language is not progressing in those developmental steps, you might want to consider getting professional advice, whether it be a speech pathologist, your medical professional, um, you might consider, you know, what else might be contributing to that? Are there hearing issues or difficulties with their ears, etc. So following up any concerns, do that nice and early in the piece um, so that, again, as I said earlier, you can have that support and intervention nice and quickly and get results faster. So use those as a guide. Now, if um, we did cover a lot of information in terms of the milestones, so I do also have on the Chat About Children website a toddler communication checklist. So, and that's from birth to six years. So, if you want a written sample of that, please go over to the website and and download that for your reference. So now we're going to look at the patterns of bilingual development, and there's three key patterns here. Firstly, simultaneous, secondly, sequential, and thirdly, receptive. And we're going to cover what those three patterns are. So to begin with, we have um, simultaneous bilingualism. And this is basically where two languages are acquired at the same time before the age of three. So developmental language stages, as we've just discussed, are usually similar in each language um, to monolingual development or to development if you just have one language. There can be unequal progress. It just really depends on the amount of input and the opportunities to practice each language. So we have to bear that in mind. Um, So if you're, for example, um, speaking Arabic at home and the child is home from preschool on, you know, four days of the week and they're at preschool one day of the week, you'll obviously see a slower uh, progress with their development in the community language if they've just got one day of exposure to the community language. But you should see those milestones we discussed earlier. You should see that unfolding with their home language, their dominant language. So two languages acquired at the same time before age three, that is simultaneous bilingualism. So where you know they're brought up with mum, for example, speaking Arabic and dad speaking Spanish, and that is happening before or from birth or before the age of three. With sequential bilingualism, this is basically where the second language is learned after the first language from the age of three. So this is going to be you know slow or rapid development depending on the exposure and the practice opportunities a child has to learn that second language. And learning the second language is going to follow a similar pattern to learning the first language. Um, So with stages of sequential bilingualism, what you're basically looking at is a scenario where um, the child might use the first language all the time. So let's um, imagine they're at home speaking Spanish. They're using Spanish all the time. Um, They might go to preschool one day a week. And what they'll do is they may start to have a go at at using their Spanish in that 
preschool environment, then they'll realize it's not quite working. So they may go through um, a silent period where they kind of stand back and they observe a lot of what is going on around them and they're making sense of everything going on around them. And they're still participating and they're still following routines and copying other kids, but they're not saying too much. And then what they do is they start to come out of that and having a go at saying, you know, some of those routine phrases, hi, bye, um, or they might repeat words that uh, they're hearing other kids say. And then they progress from that to starting to use, you know, very productive language. So they go beyond whatever they've remembered um, and they start to have a go at some, some new words. So that's sequential bilingualism. And, you know, an example of that would be myself where I was really, you know, I was speaking Italian and then once I got to school age and got to school, I learned that second language, you know, following following the first language after the age of three. Now, what's really important to really understand is that with language development, it's important that children have a strong foundation of language and a strong model of language. So often parents will say, you know, I'm worried about confusing my child. You know, are they going to be at a disadvantage if they don't learn the community language? And, you know, sometimes, for example, I've seen parents say to their parents, so the children's grandparents, you know, please don't speak um, Spanish. We don't want you to confuse the child, just speak English. But if if the grandparents are not um, comfortable or fluent in speaking English, for example, then it's not going to help the child to have a model of language that is inaccurate. So really the advice is stick to the language that is your um, most fluent and most correct and accurate and and most natural for you. Um, Having your child exposed to a strong model of language is really the key component here. So don't feel that there's any disadvantage. We're going to actually talk about the advantages more in part two of the bilingual child, but that's really my take-home message um, in terms of any worries that you have about confusing your child. So then the third pattern of bilingual development is receptive bilingualism. And this is basically where a child is exposed to a second language, but has little opportunity to practice it. So what's happening here is that the child understands a language, but because they're not practicing it or because they um, are not required to use that second language, they they come out just understanding another language, but not speaking it. Um, so for example, with myself, Um, My dad also speaks Croatian. Now, I was exposed to hearing parts of Croatian. I could pick up what, you know, some of the words were, but there was no requirement for me, you know, as a family dynamic, my parents were happy to have Italian as the home language. So um, I was able to understand parts of Croatian, but I I just can't speak it. So for me, that's an element of receptive bilingualism um, that's come through. And this can happen with um, you know, other languages where, for example, um, a child may be in childcare or preschool five days a week and the community language is English. So they pick up English really quickly um, and they have very small exposure to, say, their grandparents who are speaking um, Spanish. And so they might just understand parts of Spanish but not be able to speak it. So their comprehension is stronger. Um, So that element of bilingualism development we call receptive bilingualism. 
Now, really what's important to um, think about is, you know, if you're a parent or carer listening to this information, what you've got to think about is what your family goals are. What is it that you as a family are wanting to achieve and are comfortable achieving? So to summarize the bilingual development, we're basically looking at uh, if there's high exposure to both languages and high opportunity and motivation to use both languages, then you have simultaneous bilingualism, the two languages developing pretty much on par at the same time. If you've got a high exposure to both languages, but there's low opportunity for a child to use a second language, that results in receptive bilingualism. And then if you have um, a child that has a high opportunity to use both languages, then they have uh, rapid or very quick sequential bilingualism occurring. But if there's a child that has a low exposure to a second language um, and low opportunity or motivation to use a second language, we can term that as very slow sequential bilingualism. So that kind of summarizes um, bilingual development patterns. So now let's take a look at typical characteristics of bilingual language development just to really give that reassurance as to what you might be observing or hearing in your child or the children you work with and helping you understand what is actually quite typical. So the first typical characteristic is language interference. Now this is basically where the first language, for example, Italian, um, might influence the second language development. And often the interference comes with um, interfering with grammar or syntax, so the word order in sentences. So, for example, um, if an Italian person were to say, she has face red, then that's often a direct literal translation from you know, lei a una faccia rossa, which if you were to translate the word order exactly the same way, then you get incorrect grammar and syntax in English. So when we're hearing those kinds of um, language interference uh, characteristics, that's a sign of language difference. It's not a sign of a language disorder. It's a sign of a language difference. So just be mindful of that when um, you're, particularly when you're working with children, where you might be hearing some of the language interference characteristics coming through. Another typical characteristic is code switching. And this is changing language within the same sentence or within the same conversational turn. So adults do this as well, I have to say. And this is where, for example, I'll use Italian again. If you were to say, I left it a casa, which means I left it at home. And what I've done there is I have switched from English to Italian within the same sentence. And you know, children do this as well. It often has an impact on their non-dominant language. Um, but, you know, children also hear it from, you know, the adults around them who will also code switch. And often uh, fluent bilinguals will do it to elaborate on concepts, to convey subtle meanings about things. And sometimes they just find that, you know, in one language, they just, you know, there's a certain word that can convey the meaning better than another word in, you know, the other language that they speak. So I find that, you know, with adults, if they're with myself, if I'm speaking to someone else that I know speaks Italian and English, I will code switch more frequently than if I know I'm speaking to someone that only speaks Italian. So code switching is a very typical characteristic, which you might observe in your children. 
And then the other typical characteristic is the silent period. Now, I touched on this before when we were talking about sequential bilingualism, but basically the silent period can happen during that initial exposure to the second language when a child is focused on listening and on understanding. So you may see this, um, particularly educators out there, if you've got a child coming from um, a home where another language is spoken, you might find that that child comes into the preschool or the learning environment really just focused on listening and understanding everything that's going on. What's important is that that or how long that period lasts should really not be more than 12 months. That's quite a long time to allow a child to get into having a go at using that second language. So I would say really use those initial six months as a time to observe closely, make sure the child is following routine um, and having a go at communicating. They should be communicating um, as best as they can and still be involved and should be involved in any you know group activities as per usual. So just be aware of that silent period. And then the final characteristic is language loss. So this is where um, fluency in the first language might decrease if it's not practiced and if it's not maintained. So your parents um, often bring this up with me where, for example, they may um, speak Arabic at home and then the child starts school. So they move into hearing um, English and using English five days a week. And then they're finding that the home language is not being used as much. It's not being practiced as much. And that child starts to um, you know, not maintain some of their fluency in the home language. So language loss is something that um, I often hear about. And really, it comes down to um, you know, what those family goals are and what your expectations are of your child. And that really introduces part two of the bilingual child where next episode, it's going to be all about ways in which you can help your child maintain more than one language because it doesn't just happen on its own. So I'm going to share some very practical ways for that bilingual language maintenance It's going to be a great episode for parents, carers with another language at home, and also good for the educators who work with children who have another language at home. Because educators, you may be the ones that are helping parents out with some ideas and strategies in how they can work to keeping that home language fluent and practiced. So that pretty much wraps up um, today's episode where we've really had um, a good solid introduction to the bilingual child. We have um, certainly consolidated how language typically develops, use those milestones as a guide. Um, We've looked at different patterns of bilingual language development to help you understand where your family may be sitting in that developmental um, arena. And then we've also looked at the typical characteristics of bilingual language development. So that really sets a strong foundation for the next episode where we look at maintenance and ways that you can help your child keep more than one language happening fluently.
Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to leave a rating and review. Please subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with family, friends, and with colleagues. Feel free to go to the website and look at that toddler communication checklist so that you have that guide with you as a resource, as a parent, or as an educator to give to families in your centers. And if you'd like to read a little more on some of the features that we're discussing in the two bilingual child episodes, you can head over to the website chataboutchildren.com and read my article on maintaining one culture whilst living in another. I thank you so much for joining me today. I celebrate you. Take care and chat soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich, www.chataboutchildren.com. Chataboutchildren.com.